In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who has given us all the time in the world to become who we are. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, so... I don't know how many of you know, but there's a football game uh, later on today. Um, uh, it's called the Super Bowl, and, and actually, uh, the, the hottest bet right now um, uh, with the Super Bowl in, in Vegas seems to be ha- having nothing to do with the actual game. Uh, it's what's called a prop bet, um, uh, and, and it has nothing to do with the outcome of the game, but it is a, a popular bet that, that people are, you know, sort of wagering in on and saying, hey, I think this is how this is going to turn out when people are watching the Super Bowl, and it has to do with Gladys Knight. Gladys Knight is going to be singing the national anthem tonight for the Super Bowl. And, uh, and the, the big bet that's out there is how long it's going to take her to sing the Super Bowl. Uh, sing, sing the national anthem for the Super Bowl. Now, roughly speaking, sort of averaged, the average time that it takes to sing our national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, is about one minute and 57 seconds. That's the average time. And so now the question is, how long is it going to take Gladys Knight to sing it? Because throughout the history of the Super Bowl, there have been, well, a lot of different people that have sung the national anthem, and they've sung it at different Paces, the fastest one was uh, Neil Young back in 1982. Um, uh, he, he cleared it in about, uh, I think, a minute 18. So he, he sung it faster than most people do. And, uh, and then you have just recently when Pink sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl, she took a full two minutes. And so the big question today... As you're watching it, you can get your stopwatches out. As Gladys Knight starts to sing, the big question is, is she going to be over or under a minute 67? And they figured out that that's kind of where, where, where the watershed moment is for that. Is, is it going to be over or under one minute 67 seconds? And if you are a betting person, you bet one side of that or you bet the other side of that to see how long it's going to take her to sing this. Now, some of the people think that uh, smart money is going to be on longer because most Super Bowl singers tend to go a little bit longer and also um, Gladys Knight tends to, when she's singing covers, she tends to go a little bit longer. So, you know, um, that, that's just kind of the pro tip for you here. Now, that whole question about, like, how long does it take, it has much more to do with uh, what's, what's going on today in our readings. As we take a look at uh, these readings and we take a look at what's happening inside of them, we have all of these readings that have something to do with this sense of timing and this sense of time and how long things take. And so one of the big questions that is running through 
all of the readings today is, well, when does something finally sort of reach its point of maturity? When does Jeremiah finally really become a prophet? Because when God comes to Jeremiah, he says, it's been since when you were in the womb that I have been commissioning you as a prophet, but now it seems like there's something more to that. As God comes to Jeremiah and he informs him of that, and Jeremiah pushes away from the table and says, I'm too young. I can't do that job. And God says, don't tell me what I'm going to do, Jeremiah. Which already tells you that God is a father and Jeremiah is not quite mature. And there's kind of that question, okay, when, when does Jeremiah actually become this prophet? In that psalm reading that we have, there's uh, kind of the, the reverse of this. There, there's this interesting thing that's going on in the psalm. And, and in some ways, I know it's our tradition to read it back and forth like we do, but sometimes we lose something. And I think this psalm, you kind of lose something when we do our back and forth thing. And really, this whole psalm is the psalm of an aged person. This person who has actually achieved great things, it sounds like. He says, I've been important to many. But yet, he keeps on going back to this same prayer to God. He's like, I've done great things. I've been important to many. I have been all of these things. But God, don't let me mess this up. And how many of us feel that way where we look back at the things that we've done in our lives and we're just praying to God, hey God, all of this has been really good. Just don't let me screw it up. And I think the more good things that you do and the better that you get at your job and the better that you get at your relationships, the more you pray that prayer and say, Lord, you have given me such great things. You've given me such great success. Just sustain me in that. Don't let me mess it up. And then you get into this reading from Paul. I love this reading. This reading about love. And it comes at the perfect time because this reading about love comes just after there are little bunnies showing up in publics with hearts that are tattooed onto their chests that you can purchase along with candy and flowers and everything to show your love to somebody. Well, it's an interesting time to have a reading in the lectionary about love. And I think the thing that we see in this reading about love is that we're not there yet. That's why we need bunnies with heart tattoos. That's why we need chocolates. That's why we need flowers. Because this is our you know, once a year celebration of love. This is our once a year thing of saying, hey, you had better get today right. The rest of the year, maybe you don't get this right, but you had better get it right today. Because this is Valentine's Day coming up in just a little while. And I think that there's something to that where when we're reading about what love means according to Paul here in the 13th chapter of Corinthians, at least I don't have to go very far into that reading to go, I'm not there. 
I only have to go to one definition, really. Love is patient. Oops. Yeah, you can read the rest of that thing. I, I messed it up right up front. I'm impatient with the people that I love so much of the time. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't boast. Love, all of these things about what love is, and as we look at that, we go, I haven't grown up into that yet. And the good news there is that at the end, Paul says, well, the expectation here isn't that you are there yet. I'm telling you about something that you'll experience in the future. I'm telling you about something that will be what you experience in the resurrection because Paul continues that, that story and he, he says, look, here's what's going on. Right now you see in a mirror dimly. But then you'll see face to face. And when you see face to face, what he's saying there is you're, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see the personification of love. You're going to see what love is all about. You're going to see the God of love. You're going to see the person who came and sacrificed himself upon a cross because he loved you just that much. And so when we read 1 Corinthians 13, it's, it's not about us saying, okay, this is what love looks like for us to complete But rather, this is what love looks like as it's completed on the cross. This is what love looks like as it's completed in the empty tomb. This is what love looks like as it's completed in the resurrection. And that sense of ongoing continuance and perfection is important. Because we know that like the psalmist, we're just at the precipice of our next failure. We're just at the point where we could sin once again. Where we could mess this up once again. Where we could fall and prove that we are not there yet. We're not mature enough. And so then we finally get to this gospel reading, and this gospel reading is all about an interesting thing that happens with Jesus. Jesus, last time, he was in Nazareth, and he was at his hometown, and he was dealing with all of the different conflicted emotions that we have when we're in our hometown, where people don't see us as quite as mature as what we are in the rest of the world, because they know, hey, isn't that Joseph's boy? And, and there he, he didn't do any healings. He, in fact, called them out, and they said, oh, you may be Joseph's boy, but we're throwing you off of a cliff, man. But here he's in Capernaum, and it's a little bit different of a narrative. He's in Capernaum, and all of a sudden he's doing all of the things that they wanted him to do. He is casting out demons left and right. He is healing people. He is teaching well. He's doing all of this stuff, and the people of Capernaum are like, Hey, stick here. Because to the people of Capernaum, he's done. To the people of Capernaum, they're like, you got a maid, man. You do not need to do anything further. Just stay here. Continue to teach. 
continue to heal people, continue to cast out demons, we'll, we'll give you tenure. You, know, you can stick around, we'll give you a fellowship, you can be a grad student forever. But Jesus refuses. Jesus says, I gotta go. I wasn't called to just sit in Capernaum and heal your sick and cast out the demons and teach here. I was called to the other towns in Judea. I was called in order to get this message out. I was called by God's mission to move. We know that feeling too. We know that feeling if we identify as Christians. We know that we have something that is expected of us, something that's expected out of our callings. We know that there is something to this sense that we are included into God's kingdom and that we're not included into God's kingdom just by accident, but that God is very purposeful and that God has taken your life and he has baptized it and he has given you your job or he has given you your major or he has given you whatever it is that you do on a regular basis, whether that is a primary vocation like being a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or a grandpa or a grandma or a cousin or whatever. Or if it's more of a paid vocation where it's like, hey, this is what I do from Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to whenever it is that I get done. But that God has enlisted you into his kingdom so that you can start doing stuff. And as you start doing stuff, the thing that becomes readily apparent is that you're not there yet. No matter what your job is in this kingdom, if you work in a hospital, you realize that you're not there yet. Sick people keep on coming through the door. If you're a writer, that you realize that you still have to write things because truth is not fully known. If you're somebody who works with the law, you realize that it's not fully there yet because there are still people that are breaking the law. And there's not the right laws that are in place. But God promises us that there will be a day. God promises us that there will be a day when sin is wiped out, when righteousness will be complete, where our vocation somehow strangely will line up with his righteousness completely, that our lives will line up with his mission completely as they did with Jesus. And that's why Jesus is shot forward from Capernaum. Not because he just has to go to Judea in order to make a bigger name for himself, but no, so that he can go to the cross, so that he can die, so that your job, your vocation, your existence could be baptized into water and brought back up again and become a part of the kingdom of God. That is why Jesus can't stay in Capernaum. Because there's still more to do. And you are how he's doing it. In your relationships, in your prayers, in your jobs, 
in the things that you do from your waking moments to your sleeping moments. That those are God moving you forward. And how long does it take? It'll take your whole life. It'll take more than your whole life. But at the end of that life, you will find a maturity. At the end of your life, you will find a resurrection. At the end of your life, you will find a completeness, a total reordering of everything that we know. And so we're called to anticipate that. We're called to look forward to that. We're called to act like that is our reality today so that when that day comes, we can more fully celebrate it. So as you go about your week this week, remember that you are a baptized child of God. Remember that God has included you into his kingdom no matter what your vocation is and that that vocation is actually a working out of the kingdom of God in your little sphere of influence. But know that also your sins are forgiven. That no matter what you do, that he is going to sustain you just like he sustained that old man in the Psalms. That time and time again we're going to fail, but that time and time again God is going to pick us up. Because that's what it means to be a part of his kingdom. That's what it means to be a part of his body. That's what it means to be a Christian, folks. So go out into this world and live your vocation well. Amen. Please rise as we can.